How do you turn a bankrupt company into the world's largest and most iconic wine brand? Welcome to Business Without Barriers, the show helping you turn barriers into success breakthroughs and thrive in a volatile world, and the success revolution bringing humanity back to business. Get set for success with access to provocative interviews with progressive entrepreneurs every week, and be sure to subscribe at bwbtv.net. I'm your host, Carmen Wild, and my guest today is Michael Houlihan. Michael is the co-founder of the world's largest and most iconic wine brand, Barefoot Wine, and is a highly sought-after international keynote speaker, consultant, and corporate trainer, and the New York Times best-selling co-author of The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand, as well as Entrepreneurial Culture, 23 Ways to Engage and Empower Your People. They started in the laundry room of a rented farmhouse with virtually no money or wine industry experience and transformed it into a multiple award-winning company, fitting of the boardroom of the world's largest wine company, E&J Gallo, who ultimately acquired their brand and engaged them as brand consultants. The valuable lessons learned by Michael and co-founder Bonnie Harvey are now empowering businesses around the world. Michael is a regular contributor to business journals in 43 cities, major business publications, and a regular guest on radio, TV, and podcasts. His new audiobook brings theater to business, and his latest business venture, Business Audio Theatre, helps company founders tell their stories in theatrical style. Michael lives in the Californian wine country with Bonnie and donning his very cool sunglasses today. Welcome to the show, Michael. It's such a treat to have you on the show. Yes, well, uh, thank you and welcome to the wine country here in California. It's a beautiful day outside. Fantastic. And it's a gorgeous evening here in Mauritius on the opposite side of you, <laughs> opposite side yeah, of you're, you're, you're down there. And I'm up there. Absolutely. So, Michael, you have such a super fun, bubbly spirit. What do you believe engendered that spirit in you? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, oh, you get to a point in your life where you really can't take yourself too seriously anymore. Uh, if you do, you're just going to break down and start crying. So you, you got to you gotta start laughing at some of your mistakes and misconceptions uh, before others do. As my dad used to say, be the first person to laugh at yourself. <laughs> what fantastic advice. And you carried it through. Yeah, thank you very much. It's uh, It's been fun. I, I think that it's important uh, as a leader uh, to, to engender a sense of fun uh, and not taking yourself too seriously, you know, with all the people that look up to you for guidance and even people that you subcontract with, they have to know you're a real person. And uh, sometimes that gets lost. We, we get down to business to the point where we really stifle creativity. I think when people think that you're a fun guy that they can joke with and have a good time with, they're more likely to come up with brilliant ideas that are going to help you. That's for sure. Totally agree with you. So what was Michael like as a child? Oh, my. Well, I took everything apart. <laughs> I remember I remember one time I uh, we, when I was a kid, uh, the way that you would open cans was they, they had this little key that was welded to the top of the can. And then on the side of the can, they had a little tab and you would put the tab in the key and wind it all the way around the can like a coffee and it, it, it would open up. Right. Well, I would take those keys and I would suck on those keys. And one day I ran around the house and I saw these two keyholes on the wall, right? So I stuck these keys in there and I got knocked across the room like I got kicked by some kind of a mule. And my mother said I flew about 10 feet through the air. But that was how I discovered electricity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so much for 
Ben Franklin, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you you had the fun spirit then already. Well, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I was blessed, you know. I had a sister a year younger than me uh, who could definitely beat me up. Uh, she had three brothers, and I was one of them, so she had to hold her own. And uh, you know, she was a fun gal. I, I love her today. You know, I just talked to her yesterday. She lives in Colorado. Uh, but, uh, you know, the thing is, we, we really enjoy joking and carrying on with each other and uh, making fun out of uh, really mundane situations. <laughs> Fantastic. What a, what a lovely way to, to have fun and enjoy it and then bring it right into adulthood with you, which is, it, it goes around too little. So maybe it was from childhood, but later, Michael, who do you, who or what had the greatest influence on the Michael the world has come to know now? Oh, you know, I was blessed with a wonderful mentor. Uh, when I uh, graduated from uh, the university uh, down in Southern California, I got a job with a city in Southern California and the, uh, the city manager uh, brought me in at first as, you know, uh, an intern and then made me uh, <clears throat> an assistant. <clears throat> and he believed that I could do anything. He, he didn't tell me I couldn't do stuff. So he actually had me putting together the agendas for the city council meetings. I was like 22 years old. And, um, you know, it, it was it was great to have somebody with that much uh, respectability uh, from my standpoint, actually believe in me. And I think that that's what really forged me is when I saw this person that I respect and looked up to, it was just, he was the president of the City Managers Association of the United States. There's a lot of cities in this country. And so here's this guy saying, you can do this. You know, I know you can do this. And, and uh, wow, it was just fantastic. And, I, and I've taken that to this point where, you know, I like to say you, you hire good people, but you build great people. Yeah. And one of the building blocks is encouragement and faith in that person's ability to achieve their own expectations. And so that's why when I meet young people, I ask them what they're interested in, what they're doing. And then I try to encourage them. I say, well, if you're going to do that, you know, you should look at this or you should go to this site or whatever. I give them a lot of uh, uh, opportunities to expand on it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's what we need. We need to encourage each other. Yeah. What, what a powerful gift so early in your life to receive that. And that's that's one of the, the biggest things I do as a coach is is help people actually develop that self-belief. And when you have it, the mm -hmm. world's just like a playground. So amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So let's go to when you and Bonnie started Barefoot. You had no money. You had no experience in the wine industry. But Michael, you must have had something. You would have had your own personal nuances. What do you think was unique to you that you brought to this company that helped you do these things so differently? Well, for one thing, I believe in a universal truth, okay? I believe that you can take a person who's been in a successful business, you know, in Asia, and put him in a room with somebody from London and somebody from New York. And after you talk to them for a half an hour, you're going to start to hear principles that are spoken by all three of them. And they rely on, I call them guiding principles, right? And so when I got to the point where we were given this opportunity to get into this business, um, and I knew that it was going to be fraught with education and hardship. Like I said, the book is called How Hardship, Hustle, and, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand. Well, I didn't tell you, hardship. <laughs> I want to underline that and put it in italic because that's 
what universal principles are really good at. They're good at getting calipers around the unknown. You know, you have this kind of an amoeba-like problem and you don't have any edges. You know, you don't, you, don't have, you don't have any limits. You have no way to pick it up. But if you walk in there with like, like an adjustable wrench, right? You could turn the little gnarled screw and the, the wrench will adjust to the size of the bolt. Well, that's what universal principles are. They are tools that allow us to look at challenges and say, you know what, I feel confident that I can take this on, even if you have no business saying that, uh, which we probably didn't. But the thing is, you asked me what got me to the point where I felt confident enough to do it. It was that I felt that I had a good background in universal principles and mm -hmm. guiding principles. And I was going to apply those to this unknown situation. You know, of course, it took four times longer than I thought, and it cost about 10 times more, you know, uh, and it was it was brutal. And I learned a lot of lessons, made huge mistakes. But uh, what kept me going was reliance on on what I call the guiding principles for success, GPS. Mm. Oh, what an amazing answer. And you have such a fabulous way of like wrapping it up like a present and, and you know, at, un uncovering what, what's in your mind. What are some of those guiding principles? Share that with us and maybe share it in light of the context of today. We're in a very different world today and uh, entrepreneurs, business leaders are going through some tough times. Yeah. Which are the guiding principles that are so crucial to, for today? Well, one of the guiding principles, I guess, comes under the title of being resourceful or resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is a principle that says if you're washed up on a desert island, the first thing you're going to do is go through your ship and see what you have on board that you can use to survive. So that's basically taking inventory that's what that is okay so the first thing you have to do especially today with so many people pivoting and changing their careers and and uh you know facing uh, uh financial challenges uh we have to take inventory you know like what am i good at you know what do i have you know uh you know what do other people think i'm good at you know just be real honest with yourself and it's okay you know uh to, 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 you're not bragging, you're just making a list, see? And you also know what you're not good at, so make a list of that as well. Um, because that's gonna help you with the next guiding principle, which is you can't do it all yourself. And I guess the big title word for this guiding principle, I would call strategic alliances, okay? So this is like you ask yourself the question, who gets rich if I get rich? Who, who loves it if I solve this problem besides me? You know, who else has got skin in the game here? You know, look at the bigger picture and ask yourself who else benefits. Now, in our case at Barefoot, we had a very unlikely strategic ally. It was the glass company because wine comes in bottles. And we realized that we were going to buy more bottles from this wine or this glass company uh, at $5 a bottle then the $90 bottle of wines were going to sell. I mean, like by 100,000 times more. And so we went to them and we treated them like they were strategic allies. We met with them on a regular basis, whether they wanted to or not. We told them about our plans, whether they wanted to hear them or not. And sure enough, the day came when we got into a huge supermarket and we could not afford the cost of the glass to put all that wine in bottles and put it in that giant supermarket with 600 stores. Mm -hmm. So we went to them and they said, well, look, why don't we just extend you credit on the glass because we see that you are willing to be loyal to us. You have a long-term contract with us. You've warned us when you couldn't make your payments in the past, and you've also told us your plans all along. So we see the success of your company being the success of our company. Mm -hmm. So that's another guiding principle. Uh, another big guiding principle uh, for me is make mistakes right. 
or as I say, don't waste a perfectly good mistake, right? If you do make a mistake, it's right. It's not R-I-G-H-T. Yes, you have to write the mistake, but it's W-R-I-T-E. It's right. You write down the mistake. You write down all the misconceptions that you had leading up to the mistake, how the mistake happened. And then you make a list of all the documents that need to be changed, created, or edited. So that mistake is less likely to happen again, less likely. That's the best you can get in business. You won't get absolutes. Yes. Okay. But less likely. And those, and so, so that mistake, uh, the, the way to handle those mistakes is really, uh, you know, like at Barefoot, our business was built on the backs of mistakes. When we started our business, our contracts were three or four pages long. But when we exited our business, they were 37 pages long, you know? And now when I look at a contract that's, you know, an inch thick, I go, what the hell? These people must have got burned a lot. <laughs> yeah. So those are three really good ones uh -huh. that... Uh, People should practice, you know, taking inventory, uh, get, getting strategic allies and make mistakes right. Ah, oh, fantastic. Amazing, amazing stuff. And, and, and they're tangible. You can see why those things are important, particularly right now. Yeah. What? There's so many different angles I want to go through uh, from here, but let's go back to, to you. What? When you, maybe it's changed over time, but what do you think is your driving, your personal driving force? You know, I, I think that I really enjoy helping others to discover some of the things that I've discovered uh, that are there, whether I'm on this planet or not. And those kinds of things, those universal truths I talked about, uh, when I can get one of my clients to see that there is this reoccurring theme mm -hmm. in how they're solving these problems, and then they jump and they go, okay, I see it's this principle. It's this tool. I can apply this tool to any problem. That's when I feel really good about being on the planet because I've made a difference in humanity going forward. I've helped people uh, advance. Um, you know, we're always going to have problems. We're always going to have challenges. Uh, we're always going to have bankruptcies. And, you know, we're always going to have pandemics and, you know, crazy people running around in government. That, all that stuff is going to happen. The question is, how do you respond to that? How do you respond? You know, can you build a business in spite of all that? Uh, another thing that I, I think that, that I really like is, you know, every once in a while, somebody will write me a really nice letter. They'll say, you know, you probably don't remember me, but you spoke at this university in some city in Europe. And, you know, I, since then I've reading your stuff and I'm applying it to my business. And, you know, I'm a big success now. I just sold my business for, you know, eight figures or something. I mean, that just thrills the heck out of me. I feel like, you know, I really, I really helped this person. And I, and I love working with women and I love working with diversity. Uh, you know, my grandfather was a, a immigrant. He came from Ireland. Uh, they, they thought that his allegiance was to the Pope because he was a Catholic. So Americans thought that he was sort of subversive or something. And he would take the low paying jobs uh, that, the, uh, that the Americans of the time wouldn't touch like cleaning stables and whatnot. And, and you know, you know, he was he was poverty stricken. You know, he used his last eighteen dollars to get over here on a boat from Ireland, uh, and then when he gets here, you know, he's 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 treated like you know you know what. So this is this is the kind of stock that I come from, and um, and and so I really love working with immigrants uh, and and people. You know, because people who come to this country, they say, you know what. I can do it here. I can work hard and I can see some results on my work here. Um, and it, it's that way in mostly in Western Europe and a lot of other countries around the world. Um, but when you encourage people to take advantage of their dreams, 
then you become part of the realization of their dream. And for me, that keeps me going. That's very exciting. It's more important than money or real estate or, you know, flashy cars or boats or any of that silly stuff. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you 100%. It's, it's, it's priceless joy that comes back to you and the abundance is, you can't put a price to that. So, absolutely. Um, oh. So, you're speaking, there's such a theme coming through around what you're saying. You're talking about guiding principle. You're talking about universal truths. And when I looked at your, your, the barefoot values, I have never seen such amazing values. I mean, it's got to be some of the most incredible values that I've seen um, on a company. I, I, would, it, I don't know if this is exactly your values. You can just tell me what, I, what I've got on the website is don't stop believing the world can be a, be a better place. Local, loving locally makes our world go round. Um, expressing gratitude is what makes the bare heart, uh, the barefoot hearts flutter. We think wine should be all inclusive, and at the end of the day, it's all about having fun and staying quirky. Those are yummy values. I mean, they're they're just incredible, and it it's it, you can see what what created this spirit in 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 this brand how important do you think these values were in contributing to the success of this company well you know that's a great question and the way i would answer it is by saying you know there's a difference between a label and a brand now a label is a trademark that identifies the company that is producing the product that's a label. Now, a brand is a movement, a movement. In other words, it stands for something. You know, maybe it's the best spaghetti on the planet. I don't know. Maybe they give some of that spaghetti to people that are starving in Africa. I don't know. But the point of the matter is that in order to have a brand of spaghetti, you had better have something better than the best spaghetti in the world. <laughs> you had better, if you want, people to identify with your product and with you, then they have to identify with your brand. And let's talk about identification here for a minute. What we're really talking about is the essence of marketing, the essence of advertising. We're talking about how it is that you get your word out on your goods and services. Well, I mean, we talk about what's just happened to us. I mean, Bonnie and I have been in our house since March, okay? And uh, because of the COVID thing, and um, you know, we don't, we're not taking any chances. But the thing is, a lot of people have been in their houses, and a lot of things have changed. Uh, people are rethinking things, like they're going, you know, what family really is important, you know, because whether they wanted to or not, they had to spend more time with their family. At first, maybe it was a pain in the butt, but then after a while, they went, well, this was probably the best time of my life. I got a chance to really get to know, you know, my wife or my husband or my kids or whatever, uh, and. And so that's one of the things that's really amazing about how change uh, affects people. And so here we are coming out of this, we've got you know some vaccines and whatnot, probably in a year or two, things will get back to some kind of a normal, but there's things that aren't gonna change. Uh, like for instance, now that you've sent everybody home and they're working on their computers from home, they're gonna continue to. They're not only going to continue to, but they will not come back to work if they feel that they can uh, have a better uh, work-life balance with their family now uh, by working for you for, for you from home. And so now the question is, you know, how do you keep them loyal? How do you keep them interested? How do you keep them uh, involved in your business? Why don't they just take a pop-up that comes up on their screen from somebody else who offers a few dollars more for them to do the same thing? The answer is simple. It has to do with your brand. It has to do with the fact that they identify with it or not. Now, if they identify with it, they're not just making noodles, okay? They're doing something much more important. And every human being on this planet wants to be a part of the change. They want to make 
a difference. And so that's why companies now going forward, not 10 years ago, hell, they wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole 10 years ago, but now they've got to come out of the closet and they got to say, yes, we're in favor of diversity. Yes, we're in favor of a clean environment. Uh, yes, you know, we're in favor of equal hiring. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're promoting women. Uh, you know, we're, we're uh, making sure that people get paid an honest wage. Those are the kinds of things, like I say, 10 years ago, they would call that political. But now it's not political. Now it's just good business because these people have really had a chance. They've been stopped because of coronavirus and they looked and they listened and they said, wait a second, I'm spending my money for a product or a service, are they taking that money and are they going to the government house and are they lobbying for something that's not good for me and my kids? And you know, you're dealing with a 24 through 44 year old mentality. Well, guess what? Their future's a lot longer than mine and they're gonna be on the planet a lot longer than I am. So naturally they're concerned about things that their company is doing, their government is doing that are affecting that future. And so, this is why I think that we need to have brands and not labels. Mm. Wow. All men. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree with that. And we need, and it's everything that you and Bonnie have um, developed through Barefoot, and it, it's become more relevant now than ever before. So you were right ahead of, of schedule. And so we spoke about your values and you've spoken about the identity. There's more to it than that. It's, it's, it's a why. I'm sure you had a very, very strong why driving you that ignited such bold action from you and Bonnie. What, what was the, 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 that driving force in, from a company perspective? Well, for us, uh, you know, we were outsiders and uh, we weren't from the wine industry. And so part of our why was we wanted to prove to ourselves that we could be a success in an industry that was really foreign to us. As a matter of fact, it was really snobby and uh, we, we didn't like it. I mean, we were beer drinkers at the time, maybe have a martini here or there, but we weren't drinking wine because you, 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 know, you had to speak French just to read the damn label. And everybody was talking about mid notes, you know, <laughs> and, you know, finishes with and opens with. And here, you know, we thought, this is ridiculous. You know, let, let's, first of all, let's, let's think about this a minute. You know, who are those guys? And so we found out that they were guys. It was men. And they were buyers in the industry who were buying the wine for the markets, and they were male consumers. Now, the male consumers were all about vintage, and I'm getting hints of mustard and all this stuff, and you know, trying to be uh, basically showing off or being somewhat, you know, uh, stuffy and standoffish. And so we were motivated to do just the opposite. You know, we said, well, wait a minute. Most of the wine is being bought by women, not by men in the first place, because they're buying the, the inexpensive wines as everyday wine as Tuesday night wine, right? So what we found out was that the majority of the buyers were women and that they were buying wine like a staple. Now, a staple is not $29 a bottle. It's $5.99, okay? That's number one. And number two, a staple tastes the same from year to year to year. It's different, like, like vintage wine. And so we said, okay, these are going to be blends. They're going to be, these are going to be, uh, you know, non-vintage blends. Well, right there, nobody had addressed the female market and nobody had ever put non-vintage blends on the market. That had never been done. And that female market, the 37-year-old woman, you know, a woman with two and a half kids, right, pushing the cart down the aisle at the supermarket, that she was the driving force. And so we just catered to her. We ignored the snobs. Um, the snobs attacked us at first. They said, well, you guys are cheapening wine, you know, you know, where there's mystery, there's margin, and you're taking the, the mystery out. So you're, you know, hurting our margins. And we said, no, no, we're going to fill your tasting room with people who used to drink beer and you'll be thanking us in 10 years. <laughs> and yes, they did. They did. 
Oh, it was it was interesting. The same people. I mean, they wouldn't let us in the wine association and everything else. I mean, they really had a problem with what we were doing. But uh, we didn't have a problem with it. We were having fun and, uh, you know, we were bringing fun and relaxation uh, to basically uh, American moms. That's what it was. And then it turned out that it wasn't that different, you know, in Europe and it wasn't that different, you know, in England or in Asia. And so when you go into any supermarket, and you look around, you know, you're going to see 78% of the people in there are females. Mm. The guy says, what's for dinner, honey? What he really says is, here, take the money and go down and make all the brand decisions, fill a bag up, fill three bags up in a half an hour, come back, put them all away and cook dinner and then tell me what's for dinner. Well, did you notice he gave up his decision making? <laughs> gave it up. He said, you make the decisions. See, and, and so that's that's what we discovered. Uh, and it's not just true of the wine industry, it's true of many industries. Mm -hmm. But uh, once we discovered that, we knew we had a real advantage over the rest of the, uh, the industry. We were not competing for the people who loved wine. No, we were competing for the people who drank beer. <laughs> Love it. You know? We were expanding the wine aficionado, as they call it, envelope, as they call it. <laughs> that is so smart. I love it. Totally love it. And you turned it on its head. That's just fantastic. And I, I mean, uh, I love that little uh, catchphrase you've got to, you know, enjoying wine, a tea instead of a tux. Uh, it, it, it's just really awesome. Just taking all the BS out of it and, and making it fun and and um, bringing a little bit of quirkiness into it. So. Well, you know, what, what's, what's interesting is, uh, you know, when you take a look at the history of wine, it goes back way before the Romans, but the Romans did a pretty good job. You know, if you're a Christian, well, then, you, you know, Jesus creates wine out of water. Uh, so wine has this like central thing, you know, in wine, there is truth, right? Uh, in, in vino veritas. And, and so what I like about wine is that it can be uh, presented, uh, delivered, and enjoyed in a recreational fashion that is fun, healthy, and romantic. And so that's what all of our advertising, if you want to call it, was. We would show, we would show couples having a good time together, walking barefoot on the beach. We would show couples in front of a fireplace. You know, we, we would show couples, uh, you know, after ski with their feet up. Uh, but the thing is, it was, like I said, a female buyer. She wanted to buy romance. She wanted to see herself in that picture. And that's what took her away from the drudgery of her job or her family or all of this. She went, oh, look, I would really like to live in that, you know, world. So we created these worlds that were kind of like the ideal situation that a woman would like. And, uh, you know, it's it's a whole different approach than, you know, the male approach, which is, oh, you should buy this wine. It's got all these metals. You know, it's only this price. It does this. It does that. You know, it's features and benefits. <laughs> no, <laughs> we didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> but it totally right. And you just created a fun world. And I bet how many of those people that were the snobby guys turned and in started enjoying your barefoot wine? Do you oh, have uh, you know, virtually they all did. They, they, within 10 years, they were saying, you know, barefoot is a great bridge. It gets people from drinking beer exclusively to, to drinking wine at all. And now that they're drinking wine at all, they can discover our more expensive wines because barefoot brought them in. And so now we can upsell them. And so they started to, they started to see us as an entry point in the wine industry. And it was true because when we started Barefoot in the United States of America in 1986, for instance, there was eight times more beer drinkers than wine drinkers. See, so, you know, the snobbiness obviously didn't work. You know, it alienated the vast majority of the market. <laughs> <laughs> 
see? And uh, they liked that. They liked this little club they had, you know, mm. they could use little words and stuff. <laughs> but anyway, so we, we blew the walls off of that club and, you know, they thanked us for it because their club got much bigger. Uh, and there's a lot of people who start on barefoot. They're drinking $90 bottles of wine today. Enjoying it. And in a, in a market like we have this year, hey, bring in, bring in those barefoot bottles of wine. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting industry. You know, when times are tough, people tend to imbibe more. When times are good, people tend to imbibe more. So, you know, it's kind of a, a bulletproof thing. Uh, there are big challenges, you know, with distribution. Uh, and also, you know, with the COVID virus and whatnot, you can't do tastings in the stores anymore. So you're asking people to buy blindly. So it's things, things have really changed. <clears throat> There's a lot of, uh, you know, direct to consumer, but people are not going to pay $5 to have a $5 bottle of wine delivered to their door. I mean, they'll pay $5 for a $40 bottle of wine, but not, not a five. Mm -hmm. And so there gets to be this point where the price of the object makes it more easy to buy at a store. Mm -hmm. So in the future, I think we're going to see, I mean, the stores aren't going to go away. What's going to happen is the stores will have the products that are too heavy and too inexpensive to be delivered to your house. Say like water, like bottled water. You know, you, you can have it delivered to your house, but it's very expensive. It costs as much as the water to deliver it to your door. So those are the kinds of things that I think have changed. Those are the challenges that I see in the industry. But yes, it's a, it's a great product. It's virtually bulletproof, yeah. <laughs> hard to get into, very competitive, and I might say uh, super controlled um, substance with compliances that can, you know, give you a $100,000 fine over here or take your license away over there. Uh, and they say in their right, it's a privilege, it's not a right. So you have a privilege, it's like your driving privilege, you have to have the driver's license. So you know, and they investigate you. They want to know where all your money came from. Uh, you know, they they want to uh, they want to audit your books on a regular basis. Uh, you know, and and the thing is, there's so many laws. If your competition wants to cause trouble for you, they can complain that you broke one of those laws. Mm -hmm. See, and then they can bring in the authorities. So you have to. Air, there's a lot of reasons to have a compliance officer on board if you're going to be in that industry don't get the idea that it's an easy industry it's tough it's tough remember i thought it was going to take five years it took 20. Wow. <laughs> so let's go there michael um let's talk about the hardship part of it we've spoken about a lot of the fun stuff uh, and that was mainly because you brought your spirit into it um what take us I'd love to go into your mind. When you're confronted with a tough challenge, let's start there. Give us a glimpse of your problem-solving approach. How does that work? Well, you know, the first thing I like to do is, is try to define the problem in as many different ways as possible. The second thing I like to do is I like to take all of my problems that I'm trying to solve and throw them out on the table. In other words, not just the problem you're looking at, but all these other problems you have. And the reason is, is because I believe that there is a universal truth that there is what I call the elegant solution. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, here's what elegance is. Elegance is the fewest number of brush strokes, the fewest number of colors, the fewest number of shapes, the fewest number of gears to solve the problem. Now, when that happens, a good one usually solves more than one problem. It doesn't just solve the problem at hand. In fact, the problem at hand might just be, uh, you know, a symptom of a much greater problem that is got other symptoms, which are your other problems. You see, so this is why you want to get all your problems out on the table, because you can look at all those problems and you can say, what do they all have in common? Mm 
You know, is there some underlying problem that I'm not looking at and that this is just uh, an example of that underlying problem? So the problem with, you know, trying to solve problems, you know, individually, it's like whack-a-mole, right? You hit the mole, the other one pops up, right? So, you know, you better be fast and have a big hammer because you'll be doing that for the rest of your life. Um, the, the, so that's the first thing I do is I get all the problems out. I try to see what's in common. The second thing I do uh, is when I'm looking at the problem, I believe in the difference between what I call know the need and need to know, okay? Now let's talk about what we all know, which is we're all familiar with need to know. Oh, Mary doesn't need to know. You know, Mary is a receptionist. She doesn't need to know that we're having a marketing problem over here with this particular customer. She doesn't need to know it. It's not her job, right? So that's, that's really not the, the right way to solve problems. What you want to do is know the need. In other words, maybe Mary wants to know the need because after all, yes, she's your receptionist, but she has a financial interest in your success. She's feeding her kids off the check you give her. So she wants to naturally see this work. She also has more experience at your company than any other. She identifies with your company and she wants to move ahead in your company. So why not give her brain a chance to wrestle with your problem? So then the third thing that I do is uh, a brainstorming session. So you bring in the people who now know the need. And most of those are people who work in your company. And you say, look, we've got this problem. We've got good news. We've got bad news. Uh, the good news is uh, we just got accepted to a 200 store chain in, uh, in Florida. Yay. Okay. What's the bad news? Well, the bad news is that they put us on the bottom shelf and nobody's going to see it. And so then one person says, well, I guess we just have to go after the foot traffic then. And everybody laughs because it's kind of a cornball pun, right? And another person says, you know, that's not such a stupid idea. Maybe we could have these clear decals that have purple footprints on them, and we could hear them to the floor, stepping people from the door up into the wine department and in front of our product, and they'll have fun doing it. And then they'll look down because they're already looking down to see where the next step is. And they'll be barefoot and they'll, they'll laugh. And we did that in about 65% of the stores in the country. And that idea did come from the receptionist. And she was a 72-year-old receptionist. And she obviously needed to know. She needed to know. She came up with a solution that our marketing people didn't come up with. You see, our consultants didn't come up with that. It was completely from left field. But it was important because a couple of things happened. For one thing, we write a, a little email and send it to everybody on the staff and said, hey, Mary came up with this brilliant idea. We're going to solve this problem using Mary's idea all over the country. And now everybody knows two things. They know who Mary is. They know what she does. They know that she's made a contribution. And they also know that if they behave like that, that they'll get that kind of attention from top management as well. So this is the, the backbone of team building, which is appreciation, public appreciation, right? And they, you know, people work for four reasons. First, they work for the money, there's no question. But the second reason is they're working for appreciation. You know, they want to be appreciated by their cohorts. They want to be appreciated by their bosses, right? And then, of course, they work for, you know, uh, time off and security. But when you take a look at appreciation, that's number two. I, I can't tell you how many people have come to work for us and I say, why are you leaving that company? They don't appreciate me. Mm. See? So this gets back to the whole idea of identification and, you know, do they identify with you? So part of your brand has to do with how you include people. If you want people to be engaged, you have to engage them, see? And you engage them with respect and you, you say, I know you guys can solve this. And, and by the way, you have permission to say stupid stuff. 
Okay. And we can laugh about this and make jokes. It's fun. Okay. We're going to have a brainstorm and say anything that comes to your mind. And so that's how uh, I approach problems. Amazing. I love it. It, it, and it's so inclusive again, which is really, really cool. Take us now into one of maybe the, the, the one that pops to mind, which was maybe the toughest hardship story that pops to mind and, and give us an idea of how, what, what it was and how you solved it or, or the overall okay. solution. So I guess, the, you know, money is always the, the number one hardship, right? Uh, and when we started our business, um, you know, we could not afford an office. So we, we had a laundry room and it didn't have a washer and a dryer in there because we couldn't afford that. But then because we didn't have a washer and a dryer, we had the space, right? <laughs> so we had this room that was about 12 feet long and about seven feet wide. And it had this hookup for the washer and dryer, but they weren't there. So then we went out to the barn and we got an old door and we dusted that off and we put it on two sawhorses. <laughs> and that was my first desk for what becomes the largest wine brand on the planet. And here, here we are, you know, in a laundry room, right? Uh, in a, in a, in a, uh, a cowboy house, right? Like kind of a Winchester house, you know, an enclosed porch. Uh, out, out in the countryside. And so that, that's hardship, you know. And then uh, things, things happen like uh, you go into the marketplace and um, you get more hardship, okay? People see that you're starting to make a success out of yourself. So they go out of their way to uh, do dirty tricks to you, right? They take down your ads. They turn your price tag upside down. Uh, they grab your, your bottles and put them someplace else in the store so they won't sell uh, because they see that you're starting to get traction. So that was, that was a level of hardship that I didn't expect. Another level of hardship was the idea that somebody else is going to sell it for you. That's not true at all. You have to do it all yourself. And so it was hard because, you know, here I am, I'm in a suit and tie. I'm the president and founder and CEO of this company, but I'm down on my hands and my knees on the linoleum in Tallahassee, Florida at, at Publix number 375 with a pricing gun in my hand, pulling my own bottles out of a box and pricing them and putting them on the shelf. Now, why didn't the clerk in that store do it? Why didn't the distributor do it? The point of the matter is that the big buyer in Lakeland, Florida, is just looking at a screen. All he wants to know is how many scanned. He's just looking at the data. So he doesn't know or care about all this background issue, which is the laziness of his own people or the fact that the distributor is distracted and selling something else that they're getting spiffed to sell this week. And so they didn't take care of Barefoot. Uh, I got a telephone call. You talk about hardship. I get a telephone call from this guy in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, and, and he says, uh, you know, uh, the number one MGM store, this is a big chain out, out there, um, is going to discontinue barefoot wine. And I said, well, why? It's, well, it's not moving. You can't expect to be moving in every store. And uh, this is their flagship store and you're just not moving. And I said, well, wait a minute. What do you mean it's not moving? Well, there hasn't been any scans there in four weeks. I said, just a moment. I bought a ticket. I got on a plane. The next day I was in Minneapolis. I was in the store. What did I see? I saw the potato chips stacked to the moon in front of the barefoot wine. Of course it wasn't selling. The potato chips were blocking it. Now, what if I didn't go there? Mm -hmm. And what about the people who knew better who were there? They didn't tell me the truth. You see? So this is hardship. This is hardship. Hardship is when you realize that the job is a whole lot bigger than you thought and that you've and the type of work is not what you signed up for, you know? You didn't sign up for throwing boxes around and pricing bottles, right? You're supposed to be in the, you know, sniff, swirl and, and uh, spit business, right? <laughs> you know, the wine business, keep your pinky out there. No, no, it isn't like that at all. It's just as rough and tumble as if you were selling hammers. So that was, that was hardship for us, you know, and uh, 
think not, you know, we didn't have the right license at one point, so we were closed down. Um, you know, some states uh, were upset because we didn't disclose certain things that were really important to them, like I got parking tickets, you know, when I was 18 years old, that kind of thing. Um, but we got over all of that stuff and through all that stuff. And I would say that the biggest hardship that we faced is what I call the grind, okay? This is when you have a good idea, you know it's a good idea, it's starting to take traction, but now you're plateauing. You're not making more sales the way you used to. You were shooting up and now you plateaued and you're kind of like hit some kind of a ceiling or you know a flat uh, surface and, and you just can't break through. And that goes on, for a year or two or three or four. And then finally you get, you know, you break through. But that is really hard on your uh, confidence because here, you know, you're growing and you're excited and oh my gosh, we're gonna smoke cigars. But no, all of a sudden the brakes are on and you're grinding and grinding and grinding. They say, if you put your hand on the Queen Mary, you can push on it, it's not gonna move. And you come back in two years, the Queen Mary starts to move, see? But what if you took your hand off of it? You would lose all of that momentum you know, that you have to overcome to get the Queen Mary out of the harbor. And so that's why I have so much respect for startups because they're pushing on the Queen Mary and they might be pushing on it for two years. One of the biggest mistakes uh, entrepreneurs make is they think that because they have a great idea, you know, like a gold medal winner for $5 with a cute foot on it, that's going to sell it. No, no, <laughs> it's not going to sell it at all. <laughs> You're going to sell it. You get out the pricing gun. You open those boxes. You build those displays. You go talk to everybody. You bring them a baseball cap, right? You kiss up to them. You take them out to lunch. That's what you really have to do. And, 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 and recognizing that was hard because I went through, you know, all that denial, right? Oh, this can't be, this can't be true. You know, don't they have a financial interest in it? You know, what's the matter with those guys? Ah, ha, ha. What's the matter with those guys is they have too much to do. They can focus on your product. And, you know, everybody wants to milk the cow. Nobody wants to raise the calf. Mm. And here you are trying to raise the calf. And so, yeah, it's, it's hardship. Wow. Sure. And everything that you've spoken about, you only know once you've been in the trenches. There is just nothing, nothing could prepare you for it until you're in there and understand and make the mistakes. And now you're able to help other companies do in three years what took you 20 years to do. I mean, and that's the, yeah. the, the beauty. Of that's, what, that's what I got out of the deal is I learned what I was doing wrong. <laughs> and then and I, I'm able to help other people you know, save them a couple hundred thousand dollars and maybe five years worth of going down the rabbit hole, right? Yes. Um, and that that's really invaluable. That's that's experience. And, uh, you know, it doesn't come without uh, some phaser fire and harpoon marks, right? You know, you're going, you're going to take some hits. Yes. So it's better for me to take the hits than for you to take the hits. <laughs> And, and now the joy that you're receiving in being able to pass that knowledge on that could only have come through the um, University of Hard Knocks, which you should. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, what's, what's fun about that, uh, Carmen, is that, um, and, and that's, that's why we did this book, The Barefoot Spirit, in a theatrical fashion, because we wanted to... Uh, convey those principles to people, but we didn't want to say, here's the three things you got to do, the five things to never do, and the 20 things your customer wants from you. Because all business books are written like that and have been for the last 25 years and they're bloody boring. Okay? <laughs> so we said, let's, let's think about this for a minute. What would be a cool way to convey business principles? And one day we were listening to some BBC radio uh, drama and we thought, that's it. Audio drama. You know, let's let's recreate real situations that happened in our history so that people can sit there and 
listen to it and experience it like a fly on the wall. And they're not told, oh, this is what it means, or look for that, or here's the outcome, here's the upshot. No, it's just, here's the story. Now, you can put it together. People put it together. They say, I see, if this action happens, this is the outcome that can be expected. If this action happens, this is the outcome that can be expected. And so because it's given to them in a story, they remember the story. And that helps them apply it to their own business and their own life. So um, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to give all of your listeners a free 25-minute episode from our new seven-hour series called The Barefoot Spirit. And it's uh, performed by Hollywood actors. It's got sound effects, you know, there's lightning bolts, there's rain, there's door slamming, you know, there's things happening and there's music. So uh, it, it will be enjoyable uh, for your folks. And we want to give them the, this gift. And uh, as they listen to it, uh, I think that they will start to glean uh, some and grok some of these universal principles that we've been talking about today. Thank you so much. And, and on behalf of everyone that's going to um, receive it. Thank you, Michael and, and, and Bonnie as well. That's, that's really kind. And um, you taking, you've, you've gone from laundry um, to Wine, yes, to boardrooms, and now you're going to theater. I mean, talk about evolving constantly. This is just business at its best. Um, it's exciting. It's It's got quirkiness, fun, and serious learning all rolled into one. And, and this is amazing. So tell us what excites you about this latest business venture that you're involved with now, because it's, it's this business audio theater, right? Right. Well, what, what excites me about it is, you know, when we sold our business and we wrote our, our paperback book, it became a New York Times bestseller. And then when that happened, we started speaking all over the world, you know, from Singapore to Moscow, uh, mostly in the United States. We spoke for like 60 schools that teach entrepreneurship. Um, and uh, that was fun. But in the process, we realized that you really needed to tell story to get through to especially the younger generation. Uh, they were going to sit there and take notes if you gave them lists of do's and don'ts, but that was it. The notes died, you know, with the class. Uh, but if you told them a story, the story would last forever. And they started, they started saying, hey, you know, uh, you know that time that this happened, you know, in your life? Well, you know, that happened to me and I applied the same principles and guess what? I solved it. And, you know, and then I get really excited and I'd call them back and they'd say, how did you solve it? Right. And so we'd start talking about business from a more uh, objective standpoint, like kind of standing above the business and looking at the business and saying, oh, look, you used this tool. Oh, look, this was a completely unforeseen, unknown challenge. And you solved it by bringing in your strategic ally over here. And you asked your people for advice over here. And you did this and you did that. And so by pulling those out of the story, those tools, that's what excites me because, I mean, you're only on this planet for what, 90 years if you're lucky? And, and of that, you only get like 40 years of active life, really? Um, what did you do, right? What did you leave? Uh, you know, is, is it money? You know, uh, is it a nice house? You know, all that stuff goes away. Uh, the only thing they can't take away from you is what's between your ears. They can't take that away, you know. And what we need to do, I think, is to share our knowledge. So I'm very excited because our approach to sharing knowledge through story, through audio story, 1945 style radio theater, you know, BBC style, that, that style won us one of the top five audiobooks for 2020 by the Audiobook Publishers Association in New York. And that's amazing because, you know, here you got Phantom Books and, you know, Penguin Books and Harper, and then here's Bonnie and Michael, right? <laughs> you know, who are these guys, right? From Forestville, California. And 
So they gave us an award that was based on the fact that it hadn't that what we were doing hadn't been applied to a business format before, and that this was really uh, using theater uh, for education, and it really was uh, um, experiential learning, you know, and it's untethered, right? It's not on the screen. It's not on a paper. You can ride your bike. You can be jogging. You can be making pasta, changing your baby diapers, and you know you've, you've got your you've got your earbuds in, and you are in a wild rocket ride story, right? And you wonder if these people are going to go to jail or get shut down, or if the guy's going to buy from them again, or if they got to let everybody go, or how are they going to handle this problem? It's a cliffhanger. So uh, we're excited about it, and and we we're now offering the service to founders who are say been in business for 10 years, have like a hundred employees or more, uh, they're the founder CEO, and they realize they're not gonna live forever. And they're starting to wonder about their legacy. And they're starting to wonder about how they're gonna keep their company culture and their spirit alive long after they're gone. And they're thinking about how do we get people excited who are working online? You know, how do how do we get those people excited about our business? So what we're doing is we're telling those business stories in a theatrical audio way. They can download it from the company's website and get a much better picture of the company and hopefully identify. It's it's a great way to be transparent. It's a great way to communicate your basic principles uh, with your people, with your vendors and uh, with your customers. So you're not doing this because you want to sell it, and make money. No, you're doing this because you want to give it away. See, you want to get the word out. So it's kind of like a form of advertising, but it's 21st century uh, high-tech advertising. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's going to be a wild success. It is already with you having already won an award. So um Best, best wishes on that. I'm going to be listening closely to, to these stories that are going to be coming out this way. And you're a living legend. You, I mean, you've got a living legacy, um, Michael. It's, it's, it's just, you're just this bubbles. You're like champagne in bubbles, <laughs> which is fantastic. You bring so much spirit to business. So as a final question, Michael, if you were to address, the, if you had the opportunity to address the whole world, and you could give the world a message. What is it that you would love to share? Uh, it's it's pretty simple. It's you know, it's it's put yourself in the other guy's shoes or gals. You know, in other words, what does she really want? You know, what are her real concerns? Um, you know, once you discover that. Then you have to say, now, what about the person that's between me and her, who is like a middleman or, you know, is a platform? What do they really want? See, and so you have to get yourself to the point where you are asking more than telling, where you're trying very hard to discover what the other person wants. What I used to do is I would go into a store and I'd say, what's your fastest selling product? Um, who's your favorite rep? What do you like about that person? Uh, what do you like about that product? Um, what is your biggest challenge here? Um, and, and I would get answers that were really surprising, really surprising, you know, like a guy would say, well, my biggest challenge is I'm competing with online sales. I've got to give people a reason to come in the store. So, you know, I got to decorate it for every holiday, you know, and I can't afford that. So I'm kind of depending upon my, my suppliers to provide the decorations. I said, well, that's a whole lot different than, you know, uh, you know, how does it taste? How much does it cost? You know, now the guy's saying he'll put my product in his store if I help him decorate a store. Well, I would have never thought walking in there in a million years that decoration was the key to getting into that account. See, but but I asked and I got an answer. <laughs> so the bottom line is, uh, yeah, if I could if I could give a message to everybody, it would be ask more listen more, say less, find out what your customer really wants, not what you think they want, but what they really want, 
give them what they really want. And by the way, they'll buy your product, see, because you're giving them what they really want. It's like you get the sizzle, not the steak, right? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I mean, that's such a poignant message. So on the button, it's like take the me hat off and just put the you hat on. And so much abundance will flow back to you, which is exactly what has happened and what you've created. And thank you so much, um, Michael, for being you and being such an incredibly spirited individual that brings so much fun and value, valuable ins insights. Um, this has been amazing. You've had me like tucked here and just all ears listening to you. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure and an honor to be on your show, Carmen. And uh, I know you have an international following. Uh, I, I want people to uh, uh, check us out at www.thebarefootspirit. That's bear, B-A-R-E, not the bear, okay, barefoot, right? Thebarefootspirit.com thebarefootspirit.com. And uh, you'll find everything that we talked about there. There's plenty of articles and whatnot. If you want to get in touch with us, you know, my phone number's there. You can call me. Um, you know, we're, we're very transparent. We're very easy uh, to uh, get a hold of. And uh, we love working with business people. Uh, we love working with founders because we know what they've gone through. And uh, we look forward to it. And we wish all of your audience good luck in these very challenging times. I hope some of the things that I've said today will help you, you know, get a wrench around this crazy nut that we've got in front of us and turn it, okay? Good luck. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for your offer for that chapter. And I know everyone that's going to watch and listen is just going to get so much value out of this. And just uh, as some concluding thoughts, you know, BWB, um, the vision here is to make collaboration the new competition, which is exactly what you guys have been doing and continue to do. And the mission is to turn barriers into success breakthroughs by bringing humanity back to business. Now, what you've shared um, tonight, uh, my tonight, your this morning, Michael, is you guys are the testament. You're testament to what happens when you bring humanity back to business. And thank you. Thank you for showing the way and paving the way for that, because that's exactly what our world needs. So I want to thank you, Michael, Bonnie, you dropped all pretenses and you got barefoot. And thank you for doing that. Um, you guys decided to have fun, to learn from your mistakes. You, you know, just like your delicious wines bursting with that fruity goodness, you too are delicious human beings. And with good intentions, you spread love. You were inclusive. You are still inclusive. You show positivity. And what I love, which is just what you just spoke about now, is you ask people what they want, what they need rather than assuming that you you know. You've added fizz and sparkle through your rebel with a cause, uh, with a cause approach to business. And your conviction have really won hearts. You've taken unconventional action. You've collaborated. Your, your free-spirited methods has really given back to business and you're constantly giving back to business. And this has rewarded you with over 2,000 medals, countless accolades, prestigious awards and most importantly you've got this global base of raving fans enjoying bubbles so what's better than all of this it's a tea like you say what's better in a tea than a tux so thank you thank you for sharing everything that you have with such spirit and bringing so much spirit to business and for all of us let's get barefoot Let's totally get barefoot. Let's bring this kind of spirit to life and business. And we absolutely will celebrate a new human story and a future we can be proud of. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Love you all and love you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.